Please be seated. How wonderful. First, uh, Second Samuel chapter 9 is where, in God's providence, we are on this Reformation Sunday. You can find this text on page 307 in the Pew Bible provided there for you. I got the uh, providential luck of the draw for this text on Sunday. Last Sunday, Pastor McHurd had that text with all the names in it, hundreds of names to pronounce, and, uh, but it serves him right because uh, he has raised this pulpit so high, my chin almost rests on it, and so um, he deserves that text. But I got Mephibosheth. Don't name your kids Mephibosheth. It's hard to pronounce and spell, but it's a glorious Sermon of Grace, Story of Grace for Reformation Sunday. David is the king. As we know, David has been blessed by the Lord in covenant. David is overwhelmed at the grace of God. And now David, in our text, wants to, re, uh, wants to live out his covenant faithfulness. And he remembers his covenant he made 1 Samuel 18, 1 Samuel 20, he remembers his covenant he made with Jonathan. And that is going to be seen in the way that David shows the grace of God to Mephibosheth. It was in 2001 when Aaron and I were in St. Louis for seminary. And we lived in the heart of the city, and we worked together, both of us, at the Sunshine Mission, Sunshine Ministries. And part of my job at that time was to be a mentor of a young man. And so I had a friend named Damien, who when eighth grade was six feet tall and came from the heart of the city, and we would just do stuff together. So this was 2001, and uh, we went, Davey and I went one day to go see a movie, and we went over to the movie theater at Union Station. We looked up at the board, and I said, Damien, what movie do you want to see? And uh, we looked through, and there's some war movies and some funny movies and, and all this stuff. I said, you can see whatever you want. As long as it's, you know, appropriate, we'll see it. And he said, uh, well, there's The Princess Diaries. I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right, it's there. Uh, Damien, there's, I think this is an army movie. Uh, I heard this one's really good. Uh, this one I heard is really funny. What do you want to see? I want to see The Princess Diaries. It had come out in 2001. If you remember this story, it's about Mia Thermopolis. Mia Thermopolis, played by Anne Hathaway, is a shy, kind of nerdy girl and... Uh, her, I think it's her grandmother shows up to her and remind or announces to you her, you are the princess, the new heir of Genovia. And so the whole movie is Mia learning how to be this princess. She comes from nothing and all of a sudden she's royalty. So I walk up to the counter and I said, uh, I need two tickets for Princess Diaries. And the person said, excuse me, I said, I need two tickets for the Princess Diaries. So me and my six-foot, eighth-grade friend from the heart of the city of St. Louis go into this movie theater together, and surrounded by 50 middle school girls, we watched <laughs> The Princess Diaries together. 
It's a good movie. I would never admit that publicly, but it was a good movie. It's stirring and it's funny. And on the way out, I said, Damien, why did you want to see the Princess Diaries? And he said, because that girl who was a nobody became a princess. I thought, huh. Deep in the heart of every person is this longing to be somebody great, for, for nobodies to become royalty. Well, that's actually what our story's about. It's the story of Mephibosheth. It's your story, too, if you know Jesus personally. You have been taken far from the far out places and been brought to the table of the Lord and you have been called sons and daughters of the king and you have been made royalty. Now let me make this connection so clear to you. We have been saying over and over that David is a type of Christ. Jesus Christ is the true David. Jesus Christ is seated on David's eternal royal throne. So when you see David doing something right, you're seeing a foretaste of the real David, Jesus Christ. Just one verse I read to you. When the angel showed up to Mary in Luke chapter 1, the angel said to Mary, you're going to bring forth a son. You will call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest and the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This story is a living allegory of what Jesus would do as the true David for his people. So when you read this text, think of that in mind. Now here's the glorious story of Mephibosheth. 2 Samuel chapter 9. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now, there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Now that word kindness, remember, is chesed. It's that word we've seen over and over. It's like a loogie in your throat. It means God's covenant, steadfast, faithful, devoted love that is eternal, that he makes in covenant with his people. David wants to show this chesed, this kindness, to someone from Jonathan's line. Verse 3, Is there not someone from the house of Saul that I may show kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. And the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Emil, at Lodabar. The, the term Lodabar means no pasture. In other words, he's in the middle of nowhere. It's, it's, he's in due west South Carolina. We don't even know where it is, but he's, he's there. So he is in Lodabar, in the middle of nowhere, no pasture. Verse 5, the king sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Emil, at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear. 
For I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you will eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. In other words, Ziba was an important person himself, probably wealthy. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all my Lord, the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now, he was lame in both his feet. This is the word of God. Thanks be to you, O God. O Holy Spirit, would you come and be our teacher? Open our minds and hearts to your truth and transform us, we pray, by your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Just two simple points to drive home today. The first is this. We are Mephibosheth. We are Mephibosheth. When we come to these stories, we tend to like to think that that we're the hero of the story, but we're not. It's clear from this text that we are Mephibosheth and we are the ones who have received this type of mercy and grace from the Lord. Why do I say that? Well, we see in our text that Mephibosheth is in the middle of nowhere. He's in Debar, And we see that David says, I want to know, is there, is there somebody from the house of Saul, the house of Jonathan, that I can show kindness to? And verse 6 should be the death sentence for Mephibosheth. Did you see what it says? It says, and Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul. In other words, he should be a dead man walking because no king is gonna keep a rival to his throne alive. He's gonna decimate all his enemies. If there's any other heir to the throne possibly there, he's gonna get wiped out. But David says, Is there an heir to the throne of Saul, to the throne of Jonathan, because I want to show the kindness of God to him? Not only that, we see that David initiated towards Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth did not come looking for David. This was all on account of David's covenant love. David shows this devoted, steadfast love but he does so not on account of Mephibosheth, he does so on account of Jonathan. It's David's covenantal love and promise to Jonathan that mediates his love and faithfulness to Mephibosheth. 
There's nothing in Mephibosheth that makes him worthy of this. There's nothing in Mephibosheth that he can do for David. Did you notice our text says at the beginning and the end, Mephibosheth is crippled in his legs. In 2 Samuel chapter 4, we learn that after Jonathan and Saul are killed, because the, uh, the nurse is afraid for Mephibosheth, an heir of the throne, she runs him out of the palace, and when she does so, she drops him, and he falls, and he is crippled in both feet. He can offer nothing to David. But David says, because in 1 Samuel 18 and 20, he has covenanted with Jonathan that I will not wipe out your family, but I will show covenant love to your descendants forever. He goes looking for Mephibosheth and he pursues him and he sends his servant Ziba and draws him to himself and says, I'm not gonna kill you. I'm gonna show kindness to you instead. And Mephibosheth, overwhelmed by this, says, who am I? I'm just a dead dog, and I don't deserve this. And David says, you don't, but I'm giving you a seat at my table. I'm going to treat you like one of my own sons. I'm going to give you your inheritance. I'm going to give you lands, and all the riches of my kingdom are at your disposal, as if you're one of my own sons, on account of Jonathan. Now, I said to us, we're Mephibosheth. Why? Well, you and I were in the wilderness, away from God, lost in sin and shame and darkness. No way to find ourselves to God. But God, who is rich in mercy, sent his Holy Spirit like David sent Ziba. And the Holy Spirit goes out and he finds descendants of the king, you and I, sons and daughters of God. And he goes to us and he draws us to himself and we come to him like Mephibosheth. We should be destroyed. We should be damned. We should be killed. We were once enemies of God, deserving his wrath. And instead of wiping us out, we come into his throne room. And like David said to Mephibosheth, you don't have to be afraid here. You know, one of Jesus' most well-known sayings to his disciples and to others was, do not fear. You don't have to be afraid. I am here on account of God's grace for you. And here we were, awaiting our sure death. We too crippled from the fall, Genesis 3. We too crippled by our sin and brokenness. We too having no access to the banquet table of God. We should have been the enemies of God. We're drawn in and Jesus says to you, have no fear. God the Father on account of Jesus says, you're no longer my enemies. It's not because there's anything good in you. You're crippled, church. But because of God the Father's covenantal love with Jesus and Jesus our mediator and Jesus our advocate, we are brought to the table of the banquet of God's grace and we are given the right as adoption of sons and daughters of God and we have a seat at the table forever because of the work of Jesus. We're Mephibosheth. We have been shown that amazing 
grace of God. We have received sonship. We have been made daughters and sons of the King, all on account of what Christ has done for us. And we, like Mephibosheth, can only say, why me? I deserve not this. I'm nothing more than a dead dog. What mercy. What a privilege to know that we are invited now to the table of the king. I can't help but, I gotta talk about this and then, and then we'll move on to the second point. Think about who's around that table when the David's mighty men are seated there. And the who's who of society are around that table. And they're telling their stories. And they see this runt down at the end that, that can't even make it into the table on his own. And, and they say, why are you here? It reminds me of what uh, Alistair Begg said in that sermon. But he, what are you doing here? And, and did, did you win a battle? No. What are you doing for the king? Nothing. What family are you from? I'm actually from the family of, of his enemies. Why are you here? I don't know. He just came for me and gave me a seat at the table. We are Mephibosheth. But secondly, not only are we Mephibosheth, we are called because of the grace of God to be David. We are Mephibosheth. We are called to be David. I don't know if you saw this week. It's been all over the news. There was... Uh, this great story about the coach of the Kentucky Wildcats, basketball coach, Coach Calipari. Coach Calipari uh, has been coaching at, at the University of Kentucky for a while, and there was a, like a blue and white game where the team was going to play itself in the preseason. And uh, there's a picture that someone took of a coal miner from Kentucky who is covered in soot in his face, and he has his coal mining outfit on, and he, he's disheveled and dirty, and he's sitting there with his son who desperately wanted to come to this basketball game, a huge Kentucky fan. And, and it caught the attention of the media because this guy did not look like everybody else. The, the father knew how badly his son wanted to go to this game and he, he came straight out of the coal mine and he knew if I go home and try to clean up, we'll miss half the game. So he just came straight to the game to meet his son. And so he's sitting there with all that soot, coal dust on him. Well, it caught the attention of Coach Calipari, and he said this. My family's American dream started in a Clarksburg, West Virginia coal mine, so this picture hits home for me. What's happening in that moment? Coach Calipari remembers, I was a coal miner's kid, and look where I am now. And that grace he had received in his life said, I want to show grace to this man because I remember who I was and where I came from. So he offered a, a, the, the full VIP treatment. There's another game going to come where the father and the son come and they'll be in the locker room. They'll get the best seats. They're going to get it all because Coach Calipari remembered who he was and where he came from and now who he is. You see, when you know that you're Mephibosheth, it makes you want to show the grace of David. David knows that he had received God's grace, so he is now enabled and motivated to reciprocate God's grace. 
That's what's going on here. You are David. You were an outcast. You were an enemy, but you have a seat at the table, and now it motivates you to want to go and show that covenantal love for others. David remembered. Wait, wait a minute. I was in the wilderness in the middle of nowhere. When, when, Jesse, uh, when Samuel came to find a new king, my father, Jesse, went through all the other sons and didn't even think of me because I'm out in the middle of nowhere taking care of the sheep. I was in Lodabar. But now I'm king. It's all of grace. Uh, and the only reason I'm king is because Jonathan gave up his right to the throne for me. He knew that I was God's appointed heir to the throne. He gave up his place for me, and here I am. And what I want to do now is go show the covenant kindness of God that I have received. You were Mephibosheth. Now you're called to be David. David himself said to Saul when Saul was pursuing him, I'm just a dead dog. But that dead dog was made a child of, the, of God, a king of his people. And David is overwhelmed by the grace of God. On this Reformation Sunday in which we celebrate grace, the grace of the Reformation, as justification was brought to light, I want you to know you were Mephibosheth, but you're now called to be takers of that grace to those who've not yet had a seat at the table. Close to the heart of Jesus is our showing grace to others because of the grace that we have received. Well, why do I say that? Jesus said, those who have been loved, uh, forgiven little, love little. Those who have been forgiven much, love much. Jesus said in the parable of the unmerciful, serv unmerciful servant, Matthew chapter 18. This parable grips my heart probably like no other one does. There was a servant to a king, Jesus said. The servant owed a, a multi-million dollar debt to the king. He could not repay it, so the king threw him in jail. But the, but the servant said, please have mercy on me. I'll repay it. You, you can't repay this debt. But the king had mercy he forgave the man's multi-million dollar debt. That man leaves. He goes and finds a servant that owes him just a few bucks. He takes that man by the neck and he chokes him and he says, pay me back what you owe me. When the king hears about this, he is enraged. How could you, whom I've shown this incredible forgiveness to, not forgive your brother who owes you very little? And the judgment was upon this man. You see, this is Jesus telling this story. Jesus expects those who have received the grace of God and are seated at the king's table, who deserve nothing and could not be there on their own accord, he expects those people to demonstrate his grace to others. I want to take it a step further because I think the grace of this text, remember, David is pointing to Jesus, and we're, we're finding out here what's the heart of Jesus. I think the heart of Jesus is not just for us to take the grace to those who don't have it, but to do so especially 
to the vulnerable, to the outcasts, to those that everyone else would reject. We who have been overwhelmed by the chesed love and grace of God are meant to take that love and grace to God, of God to the least of these. When Mephibosheth comes in before David, the text reminds us he's crippled twice. When the Hebrew repeats something, you are supposed to take notice of it. I think the heart of Jesus says to us, as David did with Mephibosheth, my heart goes out to the most vulnerable. David could have seen Mephibosheth come in and go, okay, that's more than I bargained for. I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a lot of money. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to send you back to your people. I promise I won't kill you. David sees Mephibosheth and he says, you can do nothing for me. You can't contribute to my kingdom. You've got a permanent seat at my table. Down the hall here, we have hand-in-hand ministries. We built that room. We started that ministry because Jesus cares about the crippled. Jesus cares about the least of these. Jesus cares about those who most would reject. We make sure they always have a seat at the table because that's near to the heart of Jesus. We care about the babies in the womb, big time, because they're most close to the heart of Jesus. We care about the unwed mother, We care about the single parent. We care about those struggling with mental health issues. We we care about the addicts. We care about the outcasts. We care about the homeless. We care about the poor. Why? Because David cared about Mephibosheth and Jesus cares about the least of these let me just give you a couple verses Jesus said these are the ones that get a permanent seat at the table of God that Christianity is a ministry to the most vulnerable to the least of these Jesus said when you give a luncheon or dinner do not invite your friends or your brothers or sisters your relatives or your rich neighbors if you do they may invite you back and so you'll be repaid But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Later in Luke 14, Jesus said about the parable of the banquet, inviting people into the presence and the the communal love of God. He said, go out into the streets quickly, into the lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't hinder them. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Jesus said, if anyone causes the least of these to stumble, it's better that a millstone be thrown around their neck and they be hurled into the the bowels of the sea. Jesus said, truly, I truly, I say to you, as you did for one of the least of these, You did it for me. Do you see how near 
to the heart of God. It is for those who are Mephibosheths, who've been shown the love of David, to become like David, to become like Jesus, receivers of grace, wanting to reciprocate grace, especially to the most vulnerable. I saw the story a few weeks ago again of the miracle at the river Kwai. I think that's how you pronounce it. You legalists can tell me later. After the service, I mean, uh, I saw the story of what happened in World War II. The Japanese were building a railway from, it's called the Burma Jungle Railway. And these Scottish soldiers were captured. They were a prisoner of war camp. The conditions were deplorable. There was starvation, there was disease, their captors were brutal. There was death all around and the soldiers, it was so dehumanizing, they were turning on one another. One day, the soldiers were out doing the railway, building it as they did day after day after day in these miserable conditions. And one of the officers of the the prison camp, prisoner of war camp, Uh, did a count of the equipment and a shovel was missing. And uh, he called all the men together and he said, where's the shovel that's missing? Well, no one stepped forward and the guy was so angry, pulled out his gun and he said, I'm going to start killing people any minute until someone brings me that shovel. Well, no one said a word. Finally, one man comes up and he hands him the shovel And the guard at the prisoner of war camp was so enraged that he bludgeoned that man, beat him to death brutally with that shovel. Horrific. A little bit later on, they do another tool check count. And they realize all the shovels are there and accounted for. The guard at the prisoner of war camp had miscounted the first time. But the men were so overwhelmed by the grace of one who took their death upon himself that it said the camp immediately began to change from that. They were so overwhelmed by grace, they began showing brotherly love and kindness to one another. And then things changed so much because of the grace they saw in this man that when the war was over and the allies had won and they came to free the captors instead of attacking those who had enslaved them and brutally treated them they said this no more killing now what we need is forgiveness people who've been so overwhelmed by grace cannot help but show that grace to others. Dear brothers and sisters, you were the enemies of God. You were the Mephibosheth. And God in his grace gave you an eternal seat at his banqueting table. He made you a son or daughter. He gave you the riches of his, of his kingdom and of your inheritance forever. And you will live with him in his glorious land and kingdom forever. That is your grace. 
because of the work of another. And now God in his grace says, those who have a seat at the table, go find others to bring to this table too. That's what grace does. What I want us to do as we close is sit where you are and sing this hymn of reflection, Jesus, thank you. Once your enemies, now seated at your table. And then we will transition into a confession of faith and a final hymn to lead us out of here, rejoicing in the grace of God. Let's take a minute and sing together in our seats this great hymn, Jesus, thank you.